Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live. Talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Welcome. It is June 3rd, 2020, that most consequential of years in American history. Um, I have a friend who has been a social justice warrior her entire life. It it defines her. Um, She lives and breathes it. She was one of the first women to become a coal miner. She's been on the on the front edge always um, of anything that could be labeled progressive. I don't think there's a march in Pittsburgh in the last 40 years that she has not helped organize. She was over in my backyard the other day. And she said, she quoted the first line of a Charles Dickens novel. She said, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And I said, what? (laughs) What? It is the worst of times, I said. How is this the best of times? And then I remembered how she, the reason she is able to get up day after day after day of her many decades, she's in her 70s, and fight the fight, even though often, Uh, She has lost the battle. She never stops moving toward her goal. She is, I guess, somebody who refuses to give up. Someone who refuses to not be hopeful. And I have to say, she is one of the more energized human beings I have ever known. I don't have that internal hopefulness or the rigor that she that she does. But I've the worst of times, I mean we can all talk about how it's the worst of times. I mean, that's that's a no-brainer. How is this the best of times? I'm asking those of you who, like my friend, might be capable of always seeing opportunities, silver linings. I felt it last night. For the first time in some time, I watched some of the marches and protests that were going on in the early evening hours around the country. 
And every single one, no matter what city I was being shown, I was watching hope. I was seeing this amazing array of American humanity and diversity and youth. And I felt hope and I even felt pride as I looked at all of my fellow Americans. They weren't causing trouble. They were serious. They were determined. They were lawful. They were impressive. So I guess, yes, in some ways, one could say it was the best of times because so many have come together. So many have found common purpose. So many have shown that they will stand up to tyranny. So many have exhibited an extraordinary courage. And then we broaden that because there's a pandemic. And we have seen that courage in ordinary Americans, in healthcare workers, in the people who have kept things functioning in some manner, however reduced. And so a lot of what is best in humanity has been in front of our eyes and evident in these extraordinarily troubling times. I saw a video that moved me to tears. I don't know where it was taken. It was somewhere in America where the National Guard had been called up. And there were guardsmen dressed in their camo uniforms. And there were protesters, black protesters. And there was a black woman, and she was talking directly to the guardsmen, one specifically. And the guardsmen were all white men. And she was explaining what they, what the protesters were about, what they were there for, and couldn't these guardsmen see 
that they had common cause. She said, can't you? Do you agree with this? And the guy, the guardsman would say, yes. Do you agree with that? that? And he would say, I agree. He was listening so respectfully and intently to her, as were the others on either side of him. And she said, march with us. Come with us. And he said, I can't. I'm ordered to stand here. This is my, my orders are to stand here. And she kept saying, please march with us. And he finally said, I, I am ordered to, you know, to, to somehow secure this block from here. He said, I could march. And he look, he points behind him. I could march there with you because it was the turf he'd been assigned. And she scoffed and said, no, march with us. And he, poor soul, I mean, he was being pulled in two directions. He took an oath to protect and defend. He was in the National Guard in which he is charged with orders from superiors. His heart, so clearly, his humanity, so clearly, was with the protesters. And finally, the black woman who never raised her voice, she was so amazing. She said, would you kneel with us? And he did not hesitate. Down he went. And the guardsman on his left took a knee. And the guardsman on his right took a knee. And there were guardsmen further back that you could see. And they, too, knelt. Just thinking about it now, I'm, I'm so moved there are more of us the good people in the streets the good citizens who are guardsmen who've been called up who would rather be marching There is common cause. The horror, of course, is with our political leadership. There is none, except as it tries to use 
this, a man's death, a man's death, the resultant fury of a huge percentage of the American people as they take to the streets and there in the White House, what do they see? An opportunity to further turn this country into an authoritarian, militaristic, fascist state. Last night I felt that we are truly reaching this breaking point where people who have lacked the courage, people in power who have lacked the courage to do the right thing, I think increasingly, well, there's my little measure of hope. More will speak out Generals have been speaking out in disgust and horror at the Secretary of Defense and the head of the Joint Chiefs, General Dempsey, for being part of what looks like an incipient coup d'etat willing to use America's vaunted military, which they had against Americans. We deemed the enemy by them. You have heard that our Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, actually calls all of these cities, your city, my city, others across the country, he calls them battle spaces. I guess that's a kind of military term for, you know, battles. General Martin Dempsey, who who once held the title of chair of the Joint Chiefs, wrote on Twitter, America is not a battleground. Our fellow citizens are not the enemy. As I said yesterday, I, I, I was my, my, my blood ran cold when I saw the current head of the Joint Chiefs, Millie, dressed in battle fatigues. More than 40% of this country's active duty, 
and reserve military are people of color. More than 40%. Can you imagine? If Can you imagine how they are feeling about their commanders right now that are treating American citizens exercising their First Amendment rights that they are being told to look at them as an enemy and to deploy the tactics that are used against enemies in war. The fact that what they did in Washington last two nights ago was the most frightening imagery in America I have ever witnessed. That was a peaceful protest. A legal, peaceful protest. And it was broken up by, you, by military and cops and a phalanx. They even were flying. There was a helicopter and other helicopters that dropped to just a, you know, 20 feet above the crowd with their searchlights aiming at people, trying to disorient them. They were, trees were being, branches were snapped off trees. Uh, People were running from, from that. Signs were torn from the sides of buildings. Um, You know, protesters were terrified. This is a tactic used and learned when you're in the military and it's to be used in combat zones, (laughs) not in America, to rout Americans who were doing nothing but what the Constitution of this country allows them. There was no violence. The violence that occurred came from the very people who are supposed to protect them. There was this tweet I saw by a man named Kalis O. Wright. He is the chief master sergeant of the Air Force. He is the top enlisted uh, airman expressing his anger on Twitter. And he is black. And he wrote, I am outraged 
I am George Floyd. I am Philando Castile. I am Michael Brown. I am Alton Sterling. I am Tamir Rice. That a fine man like that, that fine men like those three, those three young white guardsmen in that video, which, by the way, we're posting on my Facebook page, that they should have to take orders from the likes of General Milley or Mark Esper. They and we deserved so much better. I feel hope because it seems to me that re- that people can so clearly now see how damaging, how destructive, not protesters are, how damaging and destructive and up to no good Trump and his Republicans are. Religious leaders are speaking out Probably the highest ranking, if I can use that term, African-American Catholic in the country, Archbishop Archbishop uh, Gregory. I can't think of his first name. Arch- Archbishop Gregory. He was sickened, stunned by Trump yesterday after his appalling show at the Episcopalian Church, St. John's, how he just turned right around and went over to a Catholic shrine and he said this, I find it baffling and reprehensible that any Catholic facility would allow itself to be so egregiously misused and manipulated in a fashion that violates our religious principles, which call us to defend the rights of all people. That shrine is run by the Knights of Columbus which is a Catholic uh, or fraternal organization, which is and always has been extremely right-wing. They invited him. The Catholic Archbishop of Washington, Archbishop Gregory, found it reprehensible. The Episcopalian Bishop, Marianne Budd, likewise, outraged. Her church was used as a prop. She was never asked if it could be used as a prop. 
It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. This from the Washington Post today. People who worked with this for the CIA for years and years are starting to be heard from. They're posting on social media. They're talking out, speaking out, because they are freaked out. They are seeing. Well, I'll quote one. They are seeing the kinds of things that in their jobs as CIA analysts trying to keep track of dangerous conditions in nations around the world so that we would not be caught flat-footed in dealing with a country that was going south. And these CIA analysts are now looking at the news, the local news. They're sitting in their living rooms watching American television, and they're seeing the kinds of things that would make them warn our government, that country, is teetering. A former analyst who's whose field was tracking, watching anything happening in China and Southeast Asia, said this, I've seen this kind of violence. This is what autocrats do. This is what happens in countries before a collapse. It really does unnerve me. Here's another formerly ran CIA operations in Europe and Asia, Mark Polymeropoulos. When he saw Trump hoisting that Bible after peaceful protesters had been terrorized with tear gas and helicopters and rubber bullets and who knows what else so that he could walk over to that church and brandish a Bible. This former CIA operative said this. It reminded me of what I reported on for years in the third world. Reminded me, he said, of Saddam, Bashar, Gaddafi. They all did this. It was the worst of times. We have a defense secretary who tells governors, you have to dominate the battle space. Representative Abigail Spanberger, who also was a former CIA officer, said this. 
I know this playbook. I know this playbook. She worked at the CIA on issues involving terrorism. She knows this playbook, and she's talking about now Trump's playbook. Former intelligence officials are telling journalists that the unrest we're seeing and the uh, Trump's militaristic response are signs of decay. And the kind of thing that they would be writing assessments about for CIA if they were looking at another country. Make no mistake, these are the worst of times. We held an election yesterday, a lot of states did. And these are the best of times. Neo-fascist, racist Congressman Steve King was knocked out of his seat, which he has held for ages in Iowa, in a Republican primary. I can assure you that the guy who beat him is not much of an improvement. But Steve King is gone. Here even though ballots are still being counted, it appears that progressive women move forward. Our state representative, Summer Lee, crushed, crushed the white male Democrat who'd been given the go-ahead by Democratic leadership in this county to take her on. She was the only incumbent that they refused to endorse, and she cleaned up. Emily Kincaid appears, it's not a done deal yet, appears, I guess, to be about to knock off, I hope it's in the past tense now, incumbent state representative Adam Ravenstall. Yes, the brother of our former boy mayor. In Philadelphia, a number of progressive candidates are leading races. It was the best of times. I saw a little item uh, that made my blood run cold. 
And I, I cannot believe now they, this has to do with the Trump administration in other departments that don't have to do with killing Americans, apparently, or terrorizing American citizens um, militarily. Um, they're still all busy, you know, over at the EPA, making sure that our workplaces are less safe, our drinking water is uh, less clean, our air uh, more polluted, because this is the kind of thing they work very hard at, clearing the way for their rich corporate buddies to do their usual raping and pillaging but I want to direct your attention over to an agency that throughout my working life I had to be aware of and deal with, the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission. They oversee television and radio, and are now overseen by a right winger and the entire FCC uh, commission is stacked with right wingers who care not a whit about anything but doing the bidding of capitalists. And now it turns out that Friday, when some of us were sort of preoccupied with other things that were going on in our lives and in this country, Friday, quietly, the FCC approved allowing foreign ownership of American broadcast properties. In other words, let me tell you, wait a minute, yes, yes, there has always been some level of foreign ownership. I know Rupert Murdoch eventually became an American citizen, I believe, <laughs> who let him in. But there was a rule, and always was. Any media company, broadcast company, could have no more than 25% foreign ownership. 25%. Friday, Trump's FCC didn't fool around. They never do. They go for broke. They didn't raise it to maybe 49%. No, no, no. They said, what the hell? If some foreign entity has the money, you darn well betcha we'll take it. 100% ownership now allowed by foreigners, which means China. They got lots of money. They could buy up but now a major. They could buy up, I don't know, ABC, CBS, CNN. They could. Russia. Huh? They could buy it up. Lock, stock, and barrel. 
The fact is now that any foreign entity, and you know often what that means when you're dealing with Russia or China or other countries, is their governments, right? With maybe an oligarchic front man. But the fact is, they will now, and we gave them this Friday, the FCC, did you hear of did you hear anything about it? Me either. My blood ran cold. The FCC. Unbelievable. Approved. Any foreign entity with enough money to stuff the pockets of some greedy American capitalist can now have access to our heads and hearts through our televisions and radios. Have at us. Barbara sent me a, another quote from the Episcopal uh, priest. Uh, this is not the bud that I was uh, talking about before. This is Reverend Ginny Gerbassi, uh, who was forcibly removed from St. John's. Uh, so that so the president uh, could do his Bible thing. She's enraged. They turned holy ground into a battleground, she said. I am now a force to be reckoned with, she said. It was the best of times. Donald Trump is creating a revolution. He is creating, he is waking people up left and right, black and white, and all hues in between, young and old. Now you've got, I, 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 well, I don't know. I don't know what today will bring. I do want to point out also, um, by the way, uh, here in, in Pittsburgh, um, I, uh, and this is a terrible thing as far as I'm concerned, because we were lied to about what happened 
uh, Tuesday. That was a Tuesday. I can't keep track of days. Uh, when was the, um, yeah, Tuesday, I think. No, Monday. <laughs> you know, the second big demonstration in East Liberty that was so peaceful, Monday, so peaceful. And then there was trouble. Small group breaks off, blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, uh, there's all kinds of things being thrown and uh, shot off. And we were told by the police and by the mayor that there was no tear gas. And that's a lie. There was tear gas. Ask the people who were crying in pain with their eyes burning. There was tear gas. And lo and behold, because again of reporting and because of video, because of cell phones, because of people in buildings, in apartments, looking down at the scene, witnesses, witnesses, witnesses all over. They said, no, this was something that the cops, this was a problem that was started by the police, and they did deploy tear gas. They even deployed it beyond Center and Negley. And I'm very upset by it because I would like to be able to feel that I am going to get a straight story from our leadership here, from City Hall and from the police. And I sure would like Mayor Peduto to come out and apologize for having essentially gaslighted us. Saying, them, no, the protesters are lying. We did not use excessive force. There was no need for tear gas. Do you know tear gas is barred in warfare? I'm not sure. Is that a like a Geneva Convention rule, or is that our own military saying we will not use tear gas on our um, enemy? <laughs> Isn't help me here? I I, I I I think, but using it on Americans demonstrating, seeking redress of their grievances. In the United States, I guess that's okay. I don't understand how the police anywhere can think they can continue to lie <laughs> about what they did 
or what went down or what really happened when now we're all filming them all the time, every move they make. What they have been able to do without cameras trained on them, one can only imagine. And we have a sense now of what they've been up to for decades, decades, decades. And I I do have to say that as a white person, I have been ambivalent about police officers. I think sometimes, um, you know, I appreciate their service. I know they got a rough job. I don't look at them and think they're going to kill me. But boy, I now see that that is, again, white privilege. That is some serious white privilege. My son told me about the Monday protest, which started at uh, the East Liberty Target, and how... There were snipers. There was a sniper positioned on the roof of the target. And it chilled him. It did not make him feel safe that there was a sniper. (laughs) I understand that. I talked to a white woman yesterday who was also there with her daughter. And she said, she brought it up herself. She said, you know, I looked up and I saw a sniper on the roof of the target. And she said, and I have to admit, I felt safer. <laughs> and I asked her, "How? why would you feel safer if there was a sniper on the roof, a police sniper. She said, well, I was thinking, see, now this is the difference in, I'm not saying she was wrong. I am saying this is a different, this is one reaction is the reaction of a non-white person, my son. Her reaction is the reaction of a white person. She looked up, saw the sniper and thought, oh, because she said, you know, I was worried. What if some you know, like white nationalists with a, with a, you know, an AK-47 or some kind of other thing started like spraying the demonstrators. Then I, I figured that's what it was about, and the sniper up on the roof could take take that guy out. It fascinates me that our difference in experience with those we are told are there to serve and protect is true. I mean, of course, of course. And yeah, they do pretty well serving and protecting us white folks. I have a call caller. uh, Go ahead, please. Good morning. Good morning. Um, one thing that I, I, I 
we're seeing for the first time, and I, and I don't mean I don't want to be too optimistic about this, is that the there is this, on some law enforcement officials there finally seems to be some some like acknowledgement that there is a problem. Oh yes, you I'm know? seeing that too. I mean, I'm seeing that too. I mean, uh-huh. before it was like, no, we're gonna hunker down and just deny, 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 and ignore. And and I don't see that. I, I still think it's a huge problem. And and you're still gonna have the hardline cops who are just gonna like close ranks and and ignore they have a problem within their ranks. And that's the distinction I think that is being that is between the protesters and the looters and the police who are good in in the in how they recognize the problem their problems you're seeing we're seeing the protesters calling out the looters the the the, the yes. troublemakers yes. the violent people and and yes. they're sitting here this is not us it's not who we are and and they're, and they're actually like in some cases approaching them and, and, and at their own risk and and this is what the police have failed to do since with their own since we've since yeah. we've had cameras proving otherwise. I mean, the Rodney King case was over was twenty six years ago. I can't I can't remember anymore. And we that was the first time that we really saw that. We, see, it's happening. It's happening. It, what what black people have been saying is true. This is what and we what, witnessed it. And and I remember thinking, okay, and not understanding like they're still denying it's a problem. Now, with the past, with everybody having a smartphone and we're seeing mm-hmm. it over and over again, they're still denying it. But yeah, well, that's I what they, <laughs> they got to stop because we, we're on to them now. I mean, we know okay. they can't, uh, you know, there's the visual evidence. The other thing is with their increasing targeting, it seems to me, of reporters um the reporters are going to be more radicalized by this too and want to more than ever use their power to speak truth to that police power and and not be silenced i can't imagine how many reporters with you know who've been hit by tear gas now who've been hit by rubber bullets who've been uh beat up um, are are not much more um, aware of the extraordinary dysfunction of our police forces. So I don't know. Do, I thank you do, for your do, call. Do, well, well, let me ask you a question. Do you think that we might start seeing? I don't know. Good <laughs> police who can calling out the bad police? Listen, who? No. I'm not even going to go. None of us. It is way too soon to hope that this is going to yield that. I don't know. We still got to, we still have to secure this nation. We've got six more months of Trump before we can vote him out. And then we've got three months after that before we get the president we want. It is nine months more of this increasingly terrifying administration destroying our country nine months is plenty of time to finish the job so i'm not i don't know how this thing ends 
I really, that, this is where I lose sleep. I don't know how this ends. He will do anything. That's become clear. Do we have a wholesale uh, uh, where actually military refuse? Are we going to see military? Are we going to see soldiers? Are we going to see certain officers refuse to carry out commander's uh, you know, uh, orders? Are we? Because it might come to that. I don't know. I have no idea. Anyone who makes any predictions anymore about anything is, um, well, I mean, there's no law against it, but uh, the ground is shifting under our feet too fast to know anything. I hope. But at the same time, but at the same time, I mean, it's like we always warn that we can't just label all the police you know, as bad. Because I think most of them are good. My problem is, is those so-called good police are not calling out their bad. Well, that so, makes them bad. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. So, that the, 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 the one, you know, the Chauvin, or, or Chauvin who had, who had, whose knee actually took George Floyd's life uh, was a bad cop. And the three cops that didn't actively kill him were bad cops too because they didn't stop the bad cop they threw in with him and so all these good cops who lack the courage and it would take courage to call out their brothers in blue it could get you killed i suppose it would take great courage. So let me ask you this, because you lived during the, the, the unrest of the 60s. Yeah. And my impression is, despite the, because of all the unrest, I think a lot of good things came out of that, you know, uh, eventually. It took time, but it did happen. Would, would you agree with that or no? Well, I guess, I, I yes, I guess, but I would counter with, Look where we are now. <laughs> right well, now I'm, is I'm after wondering. is after sixty eight and sixty nine and seventy and seventy one when I was in the streets. It's after that now. Yes, some good happened, and then there was pushback, and we. It's one step. I'm afraid we've been doing a lot of one step forward, two steps back. Certainly, that's well, what well, happened with Trump's election. This, the country, you know, went insane and pulled back from the progress that had been the promise of Barack Obama's but, administration. But, 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 but I'm, and, and I'm, I, I'm trying to grasp for some sort of. I know you some, are. Some sort of hope. Well, it's, yeah, and I've been saying well, it's the best of times, it's the worst of times, but I can't be making any predictions. Yes, this kind of action will yield some positives, maybe. I mean, I've been delineating what I see. Um, you know, it's uh, an awful lot of people are waking up. That's good. And they're taking action. That's good. And they're seeing common cause. That's good. That's all good. But unless we have power, 
In other words, if, unless we, we can write the laws and, and we can get rid of the people in power who, who are holding up this old regime, uh, ain't anything going to happen. We, as, as, as President Obama uh, wrote the other day, there's two fronts here. Yeah, we got to be in the streets and we got to be doing this, but we've got to be doing this in a political, in the political arena as well. Both of those with the same kind of furor, we got a shot. We got a shot, but I got to tell you, we are in for, uh, I'm sorry, we're in for a frightening nine months. Okay, that's all I have to say. And I do have to move on. I mean, so, okay, bye. I also want to point out that, um, well, I'll leave that for another day. I mean, there's so much. Yes, thank you, Milton. Uh, Milton has done the research. He says, use of tear gas in warfare, as with all other chemical weapons, was prohibited by the Geneva Protocol of 1925. Isn't that interesting? Ah, uh, yeah. Tear gas. Can't use that on your enemy there overseas, but oh, sure. A bunch of kids asking for equality and a better life and for the cops to stop killing black people. Uh, no, you can tear gas them. Here's a quote from Harry Truman. It was true when he said it, and it's true today. And we need to get rid of these guys. Vote them out. Republicans, Truman said, approve of the American farmer, but they're willing to help him go broke. They stand four square for the American home but not for housing. They are strong for labor, but they are stronger for restricting labor's rights. They favor minimum wage. The smaller, (laughs) the better. They endorse educational opportunity for all, but they won't spend money for teachers or for schools. They think modern medical care and hospitals are fine for people who can afford them. They consider electrical power a great blessing, but only when the private power companies get their rake off. They think American standard of living is a fine thing, so long as it doesn't spread to all the people. And they admire the government of the United States so much that they would like to buy it. Nothing much changes. 
We are starting to see, and Margaret, thank you, there are uh, an advisor for the Department of Defense has tendered his resignation to Mark Esper saying, I'm out of here. I can't. I can't. We need more and more and more of this. These people have got to be shown that, no, we will not do your bidding. And we will counter you in any way we can. Oh, I'm sorry. I have a caller. Uh, caller, go ahead, please. Hey, this is Kurt in Swissvale. Hi. How are you? Well, why am I asking? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I thought you needed uh, your, your Pollyanna caller to call in, so I'm calling in to be Pollyanna and, and say, really, in all honesty, I mean, not to minimize what's going on, but in uh, thinking about what people of our age have seen in the past, I think there's actually been some progress. Uh, because when you think about it, at least all four of those police officers in Minneapolis were fired before we saw the video. Those That police force and that mayor did that on their own without, you know, before the first riot. And they arrested the guy within a couple of days. And, you know, five, ten years ago, that didn't happen. You know, the cop never got fired. I mean, it wouldn't happen in Pittsburgh. They, they can't fire a cop that quick. Um, the cop that shot Leon Ford is still on the job here. <laughs> yeah, he well, but that's, again, why I was saying that, that this union made uh, supports unions, but not the police yeah. unions. Yeah, yeah, but but people are talking about that. I mean, there was, a, there was an op-ed in the paper today about we have to make it illegal for police unions to give money to district attorney's campaigns. Mm-hmm. which, you know, at least people are thinking. Um, the two officers in Atlanta that pulled those kids out of the car, uh, they got fired right away, and I think that number's up to four now. Um, other police chiefs are chiming in and saying what happened in Minneapolis was reprehensible. I mean, we wouldn't see that kind of breaking from uh, but, solidarity. But, Kurt, yeah, these are all words. I mean, I've, I've seen that. I've seen yeah, Denver's but... police chief, and I've seen all these other cops and this – and that, like that video that we've got now on my Facebook page, all of that is good, but I need to see action now. And, and it's too soon. I mean, obviously, we're in the midst yeah. of this. Yeah. But no, we need I'm to see trying, action. I'm, I'm just trying to say there are some, there are some things that I said, you know, this is, this is better than before. I mean, yes. George Floyd's character isn't being assassinated. Even the coroner agrees it was a homicide, although there's some disagreement on the cause. They're not getting into his past criminal record very much or the fact there were some drugs in his system and all that BS. Uh, you want to see some action? There was some action I heard on NPR this morning. Um, the Minneapolis School District has decided they are no longer going to use Minneapolis police for security. Good. They announced that today. Um, and I think the... Well, I, look, I know... I mean, look, you know, well, I, for, me to, for me to not acknowledge... For me to not acknowledge that out of protest and civil disobedience comes progress is absurd. I would not 
be sitting here yapping at you, but for the protests of the of the sixties and seventies that uh, that finally allowed women to uh, move into jobs that had been absolutely denied them, such as you know being somebody who spouts off on on television or radio. Granted. I'm still a little bit of an anomaly in terms of ra- there's still these, you know, radio and TV are still male bastions. But, yeah, progress got made. You see women, you see black people, you see a- everything in between. Of course, progress has been made. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah and, I, and believe me, I wasn't trying to convince you or anything. I was just yeah. trying to uh, uh, you know, you get a little negative sometimes. <laughs> well, it sure is easy. I, I guess I guess I'm trying to cheer you up a little bit by saying, "Hey, you know, we have we have there have been some accomplishments, and uh, to whatever degree okay. that, that we participated in them, I think that this this I don't know, just watching this to me, you know, terrible as it all is, there were some parts of it that I said, you know, it is better than it used to be." Uh, oh, boy. No, but we're never. How can you say that when we are at the most dangerous point in American history, Kurt? Well, I mean, the... The, uh, the, the most the, dangerous point. Do you believe yeah, that? But for those yeah, but? I, yeah, for those things I said, I said that it's better. Oh. Uh, not, yeah, no, I, I mean, not that, not not the overall condition of the country, which sucks right now, but, I mean, the, the handling of this... Of the, of the killing of, of George Floyd, I think. Yeah, but, okay, I hear that. But we are right now, because of these uh, would-be fascists who have such power in our government right now, um, we are at a frightening, scary, all-hands-on-deck time in this country. This is the most fraught political time uh, for the very survival of this uh, American uh, whatever experiment, certainly since the Civil War, I wasn't around for that one. Yeah. Would you agree? I mean, this is no. Yeah, I can't. I can't in any way just you know have. I don't know. No, uh, I think now is the time for. Um, yeah for shouting fire, fire, fire. Now is the time. We are on fire. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And and I guess... Our house is burning. I, I mean, I am optimistic this gets largely reversed in uh, six or seven months, but... Um, Nine months. And then that's just the beginning. Seven and seven and seven months and 20 days. <laughs> No, because he's still president until January second, twentieth of twenty twenty one. That's June first. There's only uh, seven months left in a year. Seven months. All right. Well, you go ahead and whistle past the graveyard, but I'm. I'm. (laughs) No, I'm just trying to find some cause for optimism. Not well. I've been. You you started the show. Stick today. People to come in with things that that were uh, that made them feel better about. Okay, you're right. <laughs> okay, well, you can leave now bloodied and battered by me. Yeah, I, I have. I have 
also, yeah, I did that. I it's the best of times, the worst yeah. of times. But it's no, it's I'm not, I'm not minimizing the time. I'm just saying there there are there there there's there's, there's uh, okay. There's, uh, well, the stuff you asked for, I was trying to give you. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. And I thank you All very right. much. Okay. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Goodbye. Oh dear, dear. Uh. Another thing I'm really worried about is, man, uh, seeing all these people out there. Um, what, and we forget the pandemic. We forget. We were so careful about not being in large groups. <laughs> God, there is going to be such a spike. I saw something uh, today that said that um, some, I think, Oklahoma, some college uh, football player in Oklahoma who'd been at one of these marches has tested positive. Think of how many people, you can't do contact tracing in that kind of a situation. So that's scary. Um, I have another caller. Go ahead. Joseph. Hello, this is Father Joseph. Um, Hi. I, I would say that, that African Americans have been uh, saying, shouting fire for some time. So, I, I, you know, I, I, I get that. But here's, here's, here's the thing that I think is, I don't know if it's a point of optimism, but it's a point of resolve, is that now um, in President Trump, what we have is um, ugly Americanism on full display. Yeah. And it's much easier for uh, me and many others to contend with uh, the overt, an outward expression of of of, of, our, of ugliness, uh, than the covert one. And so, right. what we have is uh, now. What's interesting here is that um, the uh, now other folks who may not have been shouting fire go. Wait a minute! I smell smoke. <laughs> My house is burning too. <laughs> yeah. Not- this isn't right. I said, well, welcome to the party. So, so, so right. they're, they're getting that realization. Now, the other thing is this, though. There's been a fundamental change in what I would call the information, of, the instrument of power, which is information. Um, uh, people who have not had voices before have been able to, to, to mobilize through social media, through mm-hmm. you know video and things like that. And so, and so things that people say, well, we were never, there was never this way before. Well, no, you, it hadn't been up front and undeniable and, and, and in your face on video and, and, and witnessed before. And so now it, it's harder to deny those things. And so uh, I think there's been some people have lost their jobs because of what they had in it, uh, trying to do something to someone in a park uh, because they say, well, I'm going to use the, I'm going to call and say, uh, you're, I'm going to feel threatened by you. And so people have lost their jobs because of those things, and that would not happen unless there was that instrument of power, that use of information that has been able to uh, shift a little bit as to who was able to leverage it. So I think there are some things, but to have Trump up there in full display um, actually has helped us take a serious look at ourselves, and and I think that 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 will fundamentally uh, help to steal our resolve for change. I'm going to agree with that. You're absolutely right. Okay. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Get out while the getting's good. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Bye. Um, uh, you know, one of the things, yes, that makes gives me hope um, is seeing 
all these young people and they've got the megaphone now and their voices we have not heard and they are impressive they are wonderful we are seeing this young generation stepping up and uh God help them. I'm so impressed by them. So impressed by them. Um, okay. Hey, I just want to ask. So Biden gave a, a, a pretty strong speech in Philadelphia uh, yesterday. Was that carried live on CNN MSNBC, all the stations, like they would have if it were um, Donald Trump running for president before he was president. Was that covered? I mean, I've seen little excerpts on it, but I would have liked to know when he was speaking, and I didn't see anything about that. So did you see the entire speech, and was it carried live? If it was not carried live on CNN, then they're part of the problem because they did that for Donald Trump when he was running. And granted, they did it because he was riding the clown car and that's entertainment and that attracts an audience. Joe Biden is not entertainment. He was trying to exhibit what presidential leadership looks like in a time like this. Did CNN allow him the coverage that they gave Donald Trump? Maybe they did. If they did, thank God. But I don't think they did. It's not like I'm sitting there watching all the time, so I don't know. But I don't think they did. And if they didn't, they're part of the problem. That's all I want to say. Well, that's not true. Um, okay, I should probably shut up. Uh, um, there, there are many other things I would like to talk about, but uh, Amy has a life, and uh, my producer, and uh, probably would like to live it. Um, Esper, just seeing this coming in from the Washington Post, uh, Secretary of Defense Esper is now uh, saying that he does not support the use of active duty military forces to quell unrest, thus breaking with his boss, Donald Trump. Oh, boy, I'll be hell to pay for that. But that shows how the kind of immediate pushback that that ensued after, as as Father Joseph said, they showed themselves so clearly on on Sunday night. Or was it Monday? I don't know what day it is. Anyway, that's it. Um, Thank you all, and um, 
I'll talk to you again tomorrow if you'll have me. (laughs) Okay. Be safe. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.